Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. better day today i barfed in the middle of a show yesterday so the i mean as long as the first 15 minutes go good it'll be better than yesterday i'm joe jen's with me hello ben and Lene joined this time what's up hello you sound not a lot decent for uh sharing a mic it's not bad oh good yeah anyway we have a uh, mario garza from symbolic studies on tonight and we're gonna find out what he's all about so mario what's up dude uh give us a quick rundown of what you do and all the places we can reach you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I run a project called Symbolic Studies. And what I do is I pretty much follow each sign during the sign itself. So I go uh, through the tropical system. There's multiple systems of astrology, but that's the one I follow. And so right now I'm putting out content related to Virgo. Shortly, I'll be putting out content related to Libra. We wrapped up Leo a few weeks ago. And so that's pretty much my main thing. I make artwork based on the signs, but I really try and get into, you know, the symbolic value of each sign, the symbolic well of each sign, and just the various myths and symbols associated with each one. Um, and if you're interested in that kind of stuff, you can check me out at symbolicstudies.com or Instagram, symbolic.studies, but I'm everywhere. So YouTube, Twitter, uh, here on Rockfin, things like that. Awesome. So yeah. what are some shows you've been on lately? Because I think I heard you first on Cosmic Keys with Dan, and I think that's where I was like, oh, I got to get this guy on. What, what other shows you've been on? Nice. So last night I was on Weaving Spiders Welcome. So that's a really cool crew. Every Saturday night uh, they stream. I've been missing the last few weeks, but there's a handful of people there, man, that are brilliant. And so it's a really cool show. Um, I was on Odin's Alchemy earlier this year. I was on Unslaved with Michael Tessarian uh, earlier this year. And I'll be on Interverse uh, with Chance Garden uh, coming up here pretty soon. Um, yeah, so those are the few that kind of just off the top of my head um, I nice. can think of. But um, yeah, I've been around. Like, uh, a about bit. the same circles we run in pretty much. We've had Chance on from Interverse. He's great. That'll be a fun show. Nice, nice. Yeah, he's awesome. Very supportive so I guy. What, I love that guy. Oh, yeah, I know. He's awesome. I don't know what kind of questions Ben or Lene are going to have for you, but I just wanted to start it out with, uh, so if you're working the astrology, I've seen a lot of tarot stuff on your IG, too. So does mm -hmm. that play into the astrology part? Because I know some people mix and mingle all that stuff together. Yeah, for sure. You know, the tarot was actually the first thing that got me into astrology. So that was when the floodgates really opened with symbolism. So I've been a graphic designer for like 20 years, very visual person. 
I went to film school for a few years and, you know, I just spent a lot of time designing and creating logos for people and, you know, ads and album covers and t-shirts and things like that. So I got really interested in like iconography and the meaning behind certain like basic symbols. And uh, eventually I found the tarot and that really opened me up to all sorts of things, including astrology. So there is a really interesting correspondence with the tarot and astrology and like a million other things too, right? So like mythology, color theory, numerology, psychology, things like that. But yeah, I definitely have a heavy um, approach integrating the tarot and astrology. There's a lot to learn when you kind of like look at them as a, uh, you know, complementary system. Yeah, for sure. I know a lot of that stuff ties in with, uh, or some people could tie it in with the tree of life stuff with the Kabbalah and there's certain oh, yeah. tarot cards that match the Sephiroth or whatever it's called, but um oh yeah absolutely what are, sure what have you been seeing lately like what not even as far as predictions but like just do you do you focus on like individuals or worldwide events like geopolitical stuff or is it mostly just on an individual yeah that's a great question so it's funny because there are people who only focus on the individual and natal charts and things like that i've never once shown a natal chart uh, on my channel. And I actually don't even talk about the personality stuff with individuals that much at all. I'm really focused on the archetypal value of each sign. But because I've been doing that for a number of years, um, you know, whenever something comes across my table, I just run it through the filter of, you know, what sign are we in? Is there any correspondence with what's going on astrologically, just on a very basic level? And what's happening, you know, in these world affairs and stuff. And yeah, I noticed stuff. So like right now, you know, uh, people are talking about the queen's death. And there is so much Virgo symbolism tied to this event. It's completely nuts. So Virgo used to be called the queen of heaven. That's one of her nicknames. All of these gods and goddesses, there's dozens of nicknames for all these things. And the more and more I study all of this stuff, the more the line becomes blurred, essentially, for me. And so the queen of heaven, symbolically, you know, there's many expressions of her, including Virgo. And so the fact that the queen died, or at least they said she died during this time and announced it, uh, to me, that is very, very curious because she is kind of an emanation of this queen of heaven archetype. And that's a whole rabbit hole we can go down uh, if you're interested. But I've noticed a number of events over the last couple of years that are heavily, heavily encoding astrological symbolism. The other one that really comes to mind, um, the George Floyd situation. There's so much Gemini symbolism tied into that whole entire event. It's absolutely mind-blowing. And so I do notice it here and there. To be honest, these days, I'm very much focused on my project and kind of my research and everything. So I'm not so much out there scouring the internet um, and keeping up to date with news and things like that. I used to be, but not so much right now. No, you're probably better off not doing that. But uh, <laughs> yeah. That, that is fun though when you have uh even you know everybody's talking about the same current events whatever but everybody has their mm -hmm. own unique take on it especially if you're into what you're into so yeah dive down the queen's rabbit hole because that's definitely the news of the month if not the year for some people i don't right. give a shit but, yeah for sure yeah. same yeah you know honestly my personal opinion is that she probably passed at some point a while ago and that they just decided to announce it and i think that you know they don't they don't have these, they don't create these types of media frenzies. And I don't think they just allow them to happen at any point in time. I think they're very strategic when they release information and when certain things happen versus when they let the public know that it actually happened. So, um, you know, there's this constellation right next to Virgo. 
It's called coma. If you look at it now, it's a head of hair. It looks like a wig. But it used to be a woman holding her son. This, um, you know, he would be called like a child of light or something to that effect, kind of like a Christ-like figure. Um, She was holding her son in the palm of her hand. And that's what the constellation looked like. It was a woman throned, this queen of heaven, this queen, very similar to Isis holding uh, Horus. There's uh, statues of Isis uh, holding Horus on her lap. Very similar symbolism, uh, very similar to the Virgin Mary. There's the Virgin symbolism, Virgo the Virgin, right? Holding Christ. Pretty much the same symbolism of this woman holding her child in her hand. And she was referred to as the queen of heaven. And at some point, the constellation symbolism, the constellation imagery switched and it flipped into this head of hair. And to me, it's just not as harmonious. There's less to kind of grasp at symbolically. I think there's way more to chew on when it was actually a woman holding her child. And the uh, thought goes is that this constellation is heavily tied to Virgo. She's even pointing at it. Uh, in some star maps. So you'll see Virgo and she's pointing right next to her and she's pointing at this constellation. So she's implying that there is this relationship there. And so when you're dealing with Virgo symbolism, you're dealing with what's referred to as the maiden. And so the idea is that uh, she has a child that deep within her, uh, veiled within her, within the darkness, there's this light who is this child, right? That she creates. And so that's kind of like, the esoteric aspect of Virgo that I've come across. And it's interesting because when the queen died, I'm like, you know, diving into grain symbolism. That's another thing she's um, often compared to. She's definitely a grain goddess. And so she's a, a harvest goddess and we're in harvest season right now. And so a lot of grains have been connected to her. So corn and wheat and barley and things like that. And, um, She's, to me, symbolically, she is the queen of heaven, but she's also the terrestrial queen. And so to me, she kind of embodies this same sort of idea, the queen above and the queen below, essentially. And so when the queen passed, I was like, well, that's kind of curious because I'm diving into all of this queen symbolism right now. And it occurred to me, I thought it was really fascinating that when I was in England, we went to Buckingham Palace and there's this huge like statue right in front of Buckingham Palace. It's very, very um, detailed. There's a, lo- a lot going on. There's multiple statues within this one piece. But I thought it was really interesting that I believe it was Queen Victoria is sitting on a throne. And in her hand, she has a ball. Uh, and then on top of the ball, there's this little man. And I'm like, wow, well, this is very similar to the coma constellation that I've been breaking down. So if people want more information on that, they can just go to my YouTube or or Instagram or whatever. I get into some of that symbolism. But here they're actually showing kind of this Virgo Virgo relationship with the queen. And they announced that the queen, uh, when she passed, that they uh, told the bees. There's royal bees. I don't know if you guys came across that story. But they told... Yeah. So the queen has uh, a hive or multiple hives. And as you guys know, the beehive, right? There's the queen that rules the whole entire structure, right? The whole entire system. And so they told the bees, and this gets into this older folk tale about um, telling it to the bees, that when you have something important to say or news to relay, you tell it to the bees. Well, when you get into bee symbolism, there's all of this uh, 
stuff related to Virgo as well. And even in my print, my Virgo print, I literally put bees in my print for this reason, you know, uh, as a reference to Virgo being kind of like a symbolic queen of heaven. And so even um, when you break down the Latin name for like common honeybees, um, part of that name is a reference to the veil. And veil symbolism is heavily tied into Virgo as well. And so uh, she, in and of herself, she's kind of like a symbolic veil. And, you know, even when you look at like wedding symbolism or whatever, it's like a patriarchal figure that lifts the veil. That's the tradition. Right. And so this gets into what I was talking about earlier, that deep within her veiled within her is this light or is this creation. And what I really think this kind of gets down to is that when you look at feminine symbolism and you go deep, deep, deep within it, you are just going to find masculine energy. That's what you're going to find. And same thing with masculine symbolism. Once you dive deep into masculine symbolism, you're just going to find the feminine. So that just seems to be how it works from my understanding of things. And so is, this is, is why. Design, you think? Is, is that on purpose? Or is you it know, just that's a, You know, that's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm not opposed to there being a, um, a designer, you know, of this place. And so I'm not opposed to that at all. I think that makes a lot of sense. But I also think it kind of makes sense, too, with where you look, just looking into nature. You know, there's actually a lot of things that are kind of like this. So uh, I was having a conversation with my girlfriend, and we were talking about the chaos of uh, the forest and of the wilderness. And there's this seeming chaos there. That's why it's really cool to step out and just, like, go on a hike or just go somewhere you've never been. And you just see how nature tends to present itself. And it's seemingly chaotic. You know, there's no straight lines or anything like that. There's no patterns that we kind of recognize if you live in the suburbs or in the city or whatever. But if you look within the chaos, you're going to find order. You know, you're going to find patterns, the patterns of life. You know, you're, you're going to find some semblance of, um, you know, this sacred geometry. And so very similarly within the chaos you're going to find order and then i think within the order you're also going to find chaos that can lead to, I, to chaos and I, so i do have I one question for you in, in a minute okay. um you mentioned you mentioned the uh queen has a lot of grain ties and then you also mentioned that you feel like the queen may have died some time ago and mm -hmm. now they're releasing the news mm -hmm. do you think that it's possible with her grain ties that she actually died around the time that we started seeing the food shortage. Oh, interesting. You know, to be honest, I had not considered that. Um, I personally, I don't know when she's been public last time, but you know, right. um, last time she was public, they, they, she was a fucking hologram. Remember that the hologram, she was on a carriage or whatever. And I don't remember that, but that's what I was going to say. And they're all waving. Everybody's waving at a hologram. <laughs> Crazy. Exactly. No, I, I I don't. I've never seen that footage or whatever, but that's exactly what I was going to say. It's like in the world of deep fakes and everything else, these people are constructs. You know, if there's a lot of eyeballs on you, their their characters are constructs of uh, to some degree, you know, so she could have died years ago and they just decided to announce it at this very particular time for a very specific reason, you know, because they have their own magic that they do. You know, they have, uh, you know, there's a whole history of having court astrologers and magicians and occultists and, you know, things like that, like John D, you well, know, and so they've been very upfront about the fact that she had absolutely no or virtually no 
tenuous power, that it was all a figurehead for the morale mm. of the people for, you know, the majority of her reign. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it'd be really easy to fake her presence when it really yeah. doesn't matter if she's there or not. Yeah, 100 percent. Exactly. Well, it's interesting that you bring up, too. So you never know too. which one the real queen. If they're doing it in Hollywood, I think they're doing it in the news. And then some, you know, there's oh, yeah. there's technology that we're unaware of that that they're using all the time and putting it out there in the public, you know. So you look at Hollywood and they use makeup and body doubles, stunt doubles, you know, they're doing all of this stuff, you know, surgeries and, um, you know, what they're able to do with uh, plastic surgery is really, really incredible and amazing. And so I think Doesn't personally, really it's all on the table. Too, and you look at Madonna <laughs> and you're like, what oh, yeah. the hell is that? Oh, yeah, I know, I know. For sure. I agree. Yeah. Um, but related to the grain thing, you know, what they used to say is that the queen had the most amount of land um, out of anybody on the planet in the world that she owned more land than anyone else. So this kind of fits with this Virgo thing. So Virgo also, this is an earth sign. It's ruled by Mercury. And she's very heavily connected as much as she's connected to, uh, you know, the, the cosmos, the, this heaven. I, when I say the, the queen of heaven, I just refer to the universe, you know, essentially. But she's also very, very much related to the earth itself, the actual soil that you dig into, that you plant your seed into. Like, that's what she represents. So she's very much associated with the land. And so I think there, it's kind of curious that there was that narrative of the queen owning more land than anyone else uh, on the planet. It's something ridiculous. Like, she owns, like, 10% of the land, like, in the Jesus. world or something like that. It's something nuts. From what I heard, like, years ago. So do you think there was a... I mean, assuming that she died a while ago, or who, it doesn't really matter. The day that we were told she died, was there something specific about that date or astrological alignment? Besides being in Virgo, like that particular date, did you look up charts or anything on that day? I have not, no. Yeah, and that's definitely something that I don't know if I'll ever get around to being that focused with astrology, like pinpointing days and everything. Um because I yeah, because then you that... get into the numerology and you'll just you have your head up your ass for like years. So yeah, one hundred percent, dude. Yeah, I've seen people do that, and it's just like they're so in the weeds with it that it's almost like they're so focused on like the individual like branch or leaf that they can't see the whole tree. You know, they can't see the whole entire structure, and so that's not so much my thing. But I wouldn't be surprised if there was something to that. Well, we need people like that though too to dig into the details. You know, not my thing sure. either. I'm way more like broad spectrum view on things yeah but there's patterns in everything though i feel like a lot of the numerology people we've seen or if they're into any sort of pattern gematria whatever there's just a pattern in everything and you just watch them like you were saying they just go off the deep end sometimes and it's like okay well i guess that could be that if you look at it that way i don't know right I mean, it's even, like uh go ahead oh i was gonna say even in astrology it's a pattern like as humans that's what we're built to focus on we focus on patterns and then we we conduct our lives according to those patterns, whether it be time, sun and moon phases. And so I completely agree with all of you guys. The numerology thing is fascinating. But if you start to really let it grip you, it's like, dude, you're going to get lost literally for the rest of time. It, you'll <laughs> never get out of that rabbit hole because you can make some kind of correlation to fucking everything. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know. So that's why I try and check myself with that so i try and make be sure you strategic. zoom out 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I try and be really strategic with what I put on my channel that way. Um, because too, what I've noticed is a lot of the people who get into this kind of information, they're so perceptive. Uh, I don't know if you guys know who James True is, but he uses the term aperture. Their apertures are so wide open that they're letting in so much information that I think that that's kind of why they see the patterns and everything. And so they don't have discernment on what they should focus on sometimes. And so then they just kind of like talk about it all, you know, but every single day there's something to discuss on that end. And uh, I just don't find as much value in that as some other people. So I kind of have a bigger perspective um, with astrology. So I'm much more of a sign by sign person, but there are brilliant astrologers out there who definitely know what they're talking about with all this stuff. So not yeah, to downplay I, the whole entire thing. I salute those guys too, because I know almost nothing about it. I know I'm a Scorpio and that's about it. So every mm. time somebody comes on and has a different view on, you know, the way that they look at astrology is always pretty interesting. Um, yeah. What were some notable Leo moments or, you know, any, any notable moments this year that correlated with things going on in the world? Interesting. Um, I didn't notice any particular things this year i have noticed things in the past i made a video about a music video that came out a few years ago it was a very popular video it was wap i don't know if you guys have ever seen it it's cardi b and I when i you know i yeah i like just keeping tabs on pop culture you know to a certain extent just to see what's going on out there and everything and it came out during Leo season. And when the video came out, I watched it and I was really surprised at what I saw, you know, but <laughs> there's so much Leo symbolism baked into that video. It's absolutely nuts. And Just so for reference, WAP stands for wet ass <laughs> pussy. Just for everybody's reference. Thanks, Ben. For anyone who didn't actually know that, thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. I felt like saying it. I felt like it was important to the story. Uh, it's not necessarily pertinent, but it is part of it, so why leave it out? It, no, it why not really leave it out? But uh, yeah, I'd be surprised if no one knew what that meant. But continue. Sorry. It's oh, yeah. No, no. It's all good. And so, you know, there's this esoteric thing that I talked about in one of my videos having to do with the broken pillar and how the broken pillar relates to Leo and Virgo. And it's kind of like the the way I look at it, it's almost like the tower card. I don't know if you guys have studied the tarot that much, but you know, there's a tower and it's it's coming down. It, it's so basically it's the phallus being destroyed. So it's the transition from a uh, a masculine energy, a very structured energy, and it's actually crumbling, right? So that's the tower card. Um, so when you see a pillar being broken but, or the twin towers, you know, that is what you're seeing. You're seeing, um, this, uh, shift from masculine to feminine essentially. And so, um, the I Ching, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever studied the I Ching either, but they have these things called hexagrams. And so, um, hexagrams are made up of six different lines, six stacked lines, and it's a whole divination system. And there's 64 hexagrams. There's, um, I believe it's 16 trigrams, but the whole system is made up of either yin or yang. And so yang would be a solid bar and then yin would be a broken bar. So it'd be two, two, bro two bars next to each other with a, a gap in the middle. And so to me, it's like that symbolically is pretty much what I was talking about in the videos is the yang energy is a complete line, a complete tower, and the yin energy 
is actually a broken tower or a broken line. And so they have these broken pillars in that video and they have serpents in that video. And I've made videos about how there's an esoteric um, correlation correspondence with serpents, felines, and dragons. So when you're talking about a cat or a snake or a dragon, you know, historically, symbolically, these are very much one in the same creatures for a lot of different reasons, actually. So even oh. when you look at like um, a cat and a serpent, you know, there's a variety with slit eyes. Uh, you have the fangs, you have the hissing, even the way a, a cat strikes is very much like a snake, you know? And so there's lots of things kind of going on there. And even the, uh, the card that corresponds with Leo is the strength card. And the Hebrew letter that ties to the strength card is Tef, which literally means snake or serpent. So um, that there's a lot of stuff like that in that video. But obviously, if, if you're not studying this stuff, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that necessarily. But when it came out, I was diving deep into it and it was Leo season. And I was like, oh, well, this is all very strategic. So that's what I, I think that there are people out there who are aware of this uh, system like that. And they know that if you put something out during a certain time, you're probably going to get a bigger response than if you just, you know, randomly decided to drop it or whatever. So you just answered my next question. Actually, I was going to ask that, like, what's what's the purpose of doing these things? You know, Cardi B for sure doesn't fucking know it's Leo season or that she should do something with Leo. Her personal astrologer yeah. might so, know. Yeah, the, the label yeah. or whoever put out the video, I'm sure. So <laughs> that is their purpose. So they just think maybe it's going to go viral more. Like, what would be the purpose behind the queen being timed right. dead when she was in Virgo season? Like, what would their looking from their eyes? What would their goal be with that? Yeah, sure. You know, so when you're getting into astrology and the tarot and these different systems, what you're really getting into is ancient psychology. So Virgo is tied to harvest season for very good reason. So actually, if you just want to look at the astrology as like they're seasonal symbols, you know, and so that's what they ultimately represent is they symbolically encode when we're supposed to do something throughout the year in order to survive. Essentially, it's kind of like an agrarian system where it's like, hey, this is when you plant, this is when you harvest, this is when you go dormant, this is when you do this, this is when it's cold, this is when it's hot, you know? And so to me, that's what the signs ultimately represent, is that they're encoding, you know, um, the cycles of nature, essentially in them. And so that's why there's this time correspondence with it, you know? So I think that these symbols and this lifestyle, we've been living it for so long, that to me, it's like, well, why wouldn't you take advantage of an oncoming wave, essentially? So if people are going to be doing X, Y, or Z, because we're in whatever time of year, you know, why wouldn't you take advantage of like the esoteric symbolism that kind of corresponds with it? And so um, these occultists and stuff who take advantage of these systems, they're essentially studying, uh, you know, a really, really ancient form of psychology. And so they use it for mind control purposes and everything. So astrology, really, it's a tool just like any other tool. And so you can use it for so many different things. You could also use it for very nefarious purposes. And so I think to me, I look at it more so of like taking advantage of this energetic sort of wave that's coming in. Um, 
and you're probably going to get more eyeballs and um, it's going to click with people a little bit more. You know, this is why ad agencies and major, major companies, they have psychologists at their disposal, you know, and they have, um, you know, other agencies at their disposal to run focus groups and everything else. And so it's just like, well, what's going to click with the masses? You know, if it makes more sense for our logo to be purple versus for it to be red or vice versa, you know, then it makes sense just to kind of do that. So that's why fast food, you know, it's mostly yellow and red because it makes you hungry, you know. And so there's all of these different types of things that they're aware of that way. And it's like if it if it helps your bottom line, whatever that bottom line might be, it may not even be financial. It could be something else, just influence and whatever. Then, you know, I would probably take advantage of it too, if I knew that it worked. Yeah. I knew how to do it and all the ins and outs. Like you said, they have people at their disposal. So they have these teams of people. It's not just, Oh, I have my astrologer. That's going to tell me when I should you know, release this or what color my logo should be or anything. Totally. Exactly. Uh, so like one good example, by the way, so harvest season Virgo, she's the grain goddess. So next up is going to be Libra. This is the scales. The reason why the scales. Libra. I was going to get what into that? that next. Ben's oh, nice. Libra, okay. So I was going to get into that. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. 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 It's a cool Super. sign. Yeah. So, um, you know, in order to do commerce and to maybe trade and sell these grains, we need to know how much they weigh. And so that's one aspect is that right after harvest season, you have all of this available grain. And so in order to transport it and to make money and whatever, you need to know how much grain you're dealing with. So then Libra is very much about weights and measures that way. It's the scales. The other thing it encodes is that we are moving into uh, the time of year where there's equal parts day and night. And so there's this balance between day and night that way. And that's also what Libra encodes. And if you look at the Libra symbol, right, it's like a line with a half circle with another line following it with a line down below. It almost looks like the setting or rising sun. It looks like half a sun, you know, and so it implies like equal parts day and night. And so during the equinoxes, that's when we have that um, going on, that balance, you know, the spring equinox. And then the uh, equinox that we're about to go into right now. Yeah. So what? I don't know how far ahead you're looking, but a lot of I know I'm, I've said it on the show a bunch. Whatever. There's a lot of people that are looking at this fall, particularly Scorpio season, being kind of fucked. Yeah. One way or another. Uh, mm -hmm. Dan actually his his idea on it is that Libra season through October is going to be pretty dope, and then. Mm -hmm. As soon as Scorpio season hits, something's going to go off the rails, but and it could just be because it's close to the midterms, you know, because do you look into that kind of stuff too? how it ties in with that stuff? Uh, not so much, but I am hearing kind of like very similar sentiments. But I'll say, though, this has been something I've heard for years, especially during fall and especially during Scorpio. There's so much heavy energy associated with Scorpio um, that I feel like I this is a pattern that I've kind of recognized for a little while. And to be honest, one of my personal opinions is actually when I do like tarot readings, I do tarot readings for people. Some people want to know like what's happening over the next like two, three months, whatever. And I understand why they would request that. Um, but those are the types of readings I personally try and avoid because I just don't think that the future is written. And so I try and limit my forecasting and I try and limit how I use my awareness of some of this stuff to project down the road. And so uh, we were talking about this last night on the show that I was on. And that's just my personal take is that 
I've seen a lot of forecasts not come true over the last oh, yeah. 10, 12 years. You know what I mean? And so I followed a number of events. I tracked a number of events where people were saying definitively this or that was going to happen. Uh, I had a friend that moved out of uh, town, out of state, because she was part of the, uh, what's it called? The solar minimum sort of community, grand solar minimum community. And so she thought literally things were going to freeze. And so she thought that where she was living, the Pacific Northwest, yeah, there's a there, there's a whole pocket of people that think that things are going to get very, very cold very, very soon. And so she bailed. She had the money to bail. It was the right situation for her to be able just to like get out of town and, and sell her house and buy another one and everything else. She did all of this research to figure out like what pocket of the country she should live in. And she was convinced. She's like, guys, you guys got to do something. Some, you know, this is going to happen like within the next nine months or a year or whatever. And then sure enough, she moved. Nothing happened. And so um, that's just my personal sort of thing behind it is that I, I try and not pay too much attention to forecasting and predictions because by and large, the ones that I have followed throughout the years have not come true. And then the really, really, really big events that have happened, uh, nobody saw coming. Yeah, we just you just won a lot of points there with me, and it's not and it's not what you were going for. Uh, <laughs> but I that adds a lot of validity for for me personally on your work. I'm very wary of the astrology and um, astronomy kind of research, just because of that reason. It ends mm. up being that when you know we see a lot of people. Uh, that are into that and they end up doing mostly forecasting because people always want to know what's going to happen to them. That's and right. so they get kind of tied up in this idea of, oh, I can bank on this horoscopes and things of that nature. And I'm like, uh, how about you just finish today and then worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And so the fact that you try to stay away from that and you're more present of like, hey, let's deal with what's going on right now and That's what right. this means. Now let that dictate how you do your own steps tomorrow. That adds a whole different layer. Uh, so that's that's really cool. I actually really appreciate you uh, kind of telling us that. Nice, nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just share this story very briefly. But I got plugged into an alternative kind of truther conspiratorial community many years ago. And I made a lot of friends with guys who are much older than me who had been looking into a lot of this stuff for a very, very long time. And so they schooled me on a lot of different topics. They uh, gave me a lot of different um, books and just things to read and whatever. So we would talk about everything. But one of the guys, he's pretty much an old hippie. He really had something important that he wanted to share with uh, Michelle and I, my girlfriend. And so he took us out to dinner and he basically told us the story of what happened to him in the 70s. And he said that there was this big fervor uh, regarding this event that was going to happen over the summer, I believe. And it was going to be this big earthquake. And so it was going to take out like the West Coast. And they had like a specific date or a weekend where everyone was convinced in his little circle, his little community, that this was going to happen. And apparently he was going to um, get this new job. They already uh, they, they said that they were going to hire him. And this company would go on to become pretty big. And he was so convinced that this event was going to happen that he turned down the job. He no longer was going to be working for these people, even though it was an amazing opportunity. He took his wife and his kids out to the woods and he planned for it for like weeks. They went out to the woods and he thought that, you know, they were just going to ride this out, this big, big, massive earthquake. And they were there. 
nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. Right. Well, this was the beginning of the end of like stability in his life, essentially. So his wife wasn't happy, um, you know, didn't really trust him, thought he kind of went off the deep end. He couldn't get his job that, um, you know, he had gotten previously. And so his life just got completely thrown off after that. And so long story short, he told us all of this stuff and he said, be very, very discerning about events that people talk about in this community especially ones that are happening down the road. Um, he goes, just learn from my mistakes. You know, there's always going to be some new doomsday thing, or there's going to mm-hmm. be some uh, world catastrophe thing that people are going to talk about. And so this is just a pattern that he's recognized. And he just said, you know, just be very cautious about all of these types of things that come your way. And since then, you know, I've just been way more critical about these events and I've gotten way more confident in saying that probably nothing's going to happen. And so, and I just don't, I don't pay attention to it too much as alluring as that might look. I decide to kind of just like, let it be. And like I said, the, I think every single time something has come around like this, um, it's never actually happened. Well, yeah, look at, yeah. look at Y2K 1212, 2012, all of the yeah. stuff that everybody was freaking out about. And look, I remember hearing the 1212, 2012 date. Back in 2004, 2005. Wow. And this was December on... 21st. Wasn't it 12 December 21st, 2012? Is that what you're talking about? The Mayan calendar? Uh, not the one that I had heard. No, oh. I was that. That's the thing. The 12, 12, 12, the 12, 12, 12 that I had heard was when I was in the academy. And it was from a couple of Christian preacher fucks that came and spoke at the academy. And their idea was, um, God's wrath in Israel was every 700 years. Mm. And so the idea was, is that if you take 100 BC and add 700, 700, 700, they had this whole date thing planned out based on 700 years of, uh, it's like 700 years of sin, 700 years of grieving, 700 years of something else. Anyway, it was this whole thing that they had planned out according to biblical prophecy and dates and times, blah, 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 blah. According to them, the earth would have been 7,000 years old because they believe in about a 5,000 BC to a 2000 AD. And uh, the idea was is that these dates lined up on 12, 12, 12. And they were like adamant that this was going to be the start of the apocalypse for the next however many years, seven years, three and a half, three and a half, blah, 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 blah. And that that was going to be in it. And we're 14, 15 years old. We can't sound like we can get out of this fucking church service. And so we're like, oh shit, we are 14, 15. We got seven, eight years left. Damn. And it was right after Y2K. So a lot of us were skeptical. We're like, "Mm, mm." and then when that came around, I'm like, well, it almost ended. I mean, Obama got a second term. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing with the the date thing. I I feel the same way. It's really uh, QAnon-ish when you start getting into specific and things and yeah. it's just like you're just trying no, to rope people this. in it's uh it's like smoke and mirrors it's like people someone dancing on stage like the people who do paranormal Theater. stuff like just, yeah, exactly like oh there's a ghost talking to me it begins with a g it just reminds <laughs> me of that and that reminds me of the whole someone in our chat said something about september 24th something's supposed to happen that that shit reminds me of everything you're saying too these things float around "Eh, the internet so much it's probably not it's gonna be fine dates of things and it goes around and then it passes and then nobody says anything about it It gets everybody there you go man and i'm so glad you said that 
Exactly. Yeah, no, you guys are speaking my language here for sure. Because uh, during the Q thing, I heard about so many things that were supposed to happen locally and on a global level and everything else and like nothing would happen. And then at a certain point, I realized exactly what you just said. It's like a lot of people, they'll talk about it, but then they don't review what didn't happen. You know, conveniently, they just move on to yeah. the next thing, just you know, skate right so, on. Yeah. Or they say, yep, oh, yeah, you exactly. know what? It's actually going to be three more years and they just push it out. Doomsday just keeps getting pushed out for whatever reason. God's busy. Yep. He's got <laughs> shit to do. <laughs> Doomsday every day. I almost think that people want it because if they if they have a date of how long until the end of the world is, it gives them a license to feel like they can do as much and whatever they want. And then when it doesn't happen, they're looking for that next Doomsday date so that they can have a reason to go do whatever the fuck they want. Or they want control. A lot of people want to have the control of when they die. Nobody wants to sure. think about the fact that you have no idea when you're going to die. I but mean, yeah, one some... thing we all agree on is after it passes, everybody's like, oh, what? Oh, no, 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 no. We didn't think that. Right. You're you about birds, it... they aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I think what it speaks to as well, you know, is this uh, mystery that comes with the unknown. And so I think that's why a lot of people get turned off uh, with the mysteries, you know, and occultism and things like that. It's because you don't know what you're getting into and you're going to get into some darker material, you know? And I think that people have a fear of self because they don't really truly know what lies within, because if they did, they would probably change their habits and a, a lot of their, um, you know, ways that they look at the world and everything else. And so I think that people are fearful of the unknown. And so knowing what might happen in a week or two weeks or three weeks, a month, whatever, uh, I think it gives them comfort because then they don't have Absolutely. to wonder what may or may not happen. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's another thing, thing, reason sure. people watch the news. Yeah. They watch the news and just think, ah, oh, our government is totally looking out for our best I'm interests so informed. and they just feel yeah, safe yeah, that exactly. way. But that's okay for them. I'm not even making fun of those people at all. That's not the way we live. Everyone can do whatever they want. I don't judge them or care. I'm also one of those people who doesn't get mad when I see someone with a mask on in their car alone. They can do whatever they fucking want. I don't care. But whatever makes people comfortable, it, it can be a little a little sad sometimes to see what makes people comfortable. But to each right. their own. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the whole thing, uh, you know, with what we've gone through over the last, you know, couple of years is um, it's interesting how this narrative has like shifted. It like has the permission just to shift into whatever the powers that be want it to be, you know, so it's this very mysterious thing. You know, we're dealing with things that are like impossibly small that none of us have the technology to actually look at ourselves, you know, so we have to take somebody's word for it. And so, yeah, the fear of the unknown, I think, is one of the greatest sort of um, things that they have at their disposal. They know how to trigger that within people for sure. So I think that some of these forecasting events and you mentioned Q, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these things are like little psyop campaigns that they put out there and seed out there, you know, and they have this little bundle of information and a date and like certain sort of predictions and stuff. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some intelligence agency somewhere comes up with some of this stuff and puts it out on the internet and, you know, in the hopes that people will actually fall for it. I would be interested to know the uh, astrological timing of when Q came out, see what kind of a, uh, cause if it was on a specific air, you know, a certain i don't even know which sign it would be in that would help something like that blossom but something be weird it was probably aquarius it was probably a weird sign <laughs> <laughs>
you, that actually that would kind of make sense for a few different reasons actually um yeah i'm not sure i have not looked into that personally but there's definitely a heavy leo vibe that i get from trump i don't know what his sign is or whatever and leo is actually opposite aquarius so that's one of the things that i started talking about a little bit more that i think is really fascinating is you know there are 12 traditional signs but um there are six pairs of signs and so acknowledging the signs as pairs is actually very, very interesting. And there's a lot of information to kind of like take away from that. Um, so right now we're in Virgo, right? Opposite sign of that is Pisces. Um, so opposite Libra is going to be Aries, etc. cetera. Um, and one thing I'll just say real quick too, is that this is just one version. I talk about tropical astrology and as much as I'm like dedicated in wanting to learn as much as I possibly can about it. I don't think it's the most end-all, be-all system. I don't think there is an end-all, be-all system to follow. So there's um, different types of astrology throughout the world. In certain places, we are not in Virgo right now. Um, there's lots of schools of thought with what sign we're actually in, what season we're actually in. And the sky clock as we know it right now is not the original sky clock, in my opinion. There's actually been other... Um, things that people have paid attention to more in the past. And so the moon, as an example, was like one of the preeminent luminaries that people paid attention to for a very, very long time. And even now, you know, there's groups, there's cultures, uh, there's uh, people that follow the moon cycles more than anything else. So, you know, in Islam and Judaism, it's like their holy days are based on the moon and lunar cycles and everything. That's why they don't fall on the same day every single year. And um, the other thing that I've gotten into is this idea that there are constellations that are called circumpolar constellations that revolve around the North Star. And circumpolar means that they don't dip below the horizon. So they're northern constellations. So like most of the world's population can actually see these constellations. And so the two main constellations that I'm thinking of are Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, the Great Bear and Little Bear, the Big Dipper and Little Dipper. And that these constellations revolve around the pole star. And I've read a lot of information and material that, you know, basically that this was one of the original sky clocks that ancient peoples were following the rotation of Ursa Major and Minor around the pole star. And that's how they based, um, you know, their cycles and everything and their divination and, and all that kind of stuff. So we are talking about astrology, but it's not the most end all be all system even though I revere and respect it very much, you know? So there's lots of schools of thought out there. Yeah, for sure. And I, I imagine it would have been quite a bit different, you know, a thousand years ago when you could actually see more of the stars, you go outside. Now you got to be yeah. somewhere way out in bumfuck Egypt to even see all these stars. And it's like, Whoa, how did they, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's actually more amazing to try to look at constellations when you can see that many stars. Cause you're like, how did they pick out these ones to be the bears, butt, or, you know, whatever, like how there's so many <laughs> yeah. stars out there. Yeah, because yeah, there's yeah. so many stars that they could see. So it looked a lot more like a, like a little tracing than yeah. just three stars. Mm. Uh, let, yeah. Lene has a Do you question. have a question, Lene? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. There's just pop in, Lene. No. Okay. So one your take on the whole, you know, there being a 13th symbol, mm -hmm. like just curious about that. And then also, um, could you explain the whole how they come in pairs and how they work either with or against each other and how that goes about? Yeah, totally. As you mentioned, um, yeah, was it Libra and Aries or? 
opposites and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. So, okay. So you're asking about Jesus. Ophiuchus and then you're also yes. asking about the pairs. Yeah, Ophiuchus is a fascinating sign. I have not done any videos on it yet, but it's coming. And actually, I'm kind of taking this as a reminder that maybe I should focus on that this year. Um, oh, good. So Ophiuchus is like the snake handler. So it's a man holding a serpent. You know, people consider it to be the 13th sign. Um, I actually personally, my opinion about it is that it's a veiled lost reference to the northern sky, which includes what I just mentioned, uh, the pole star or the north star. And so I'll just open up this can of worms. But the north star or the pole star, if you look in the night sky, there's going to be one star in the northern sky. And if you took a, a time-lapsed photo of the sky, you're just going to see stars streaking around it, right? Yeah, we yeah. just talked about this yesterday. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. That's cool. Uh, with someone who's into it, that kind of information? or just Yeah, we oh, yeah. were talking about conspiracies about space being real or fake. And again, we don't really hold an opinion one way or the other. We're just interested to hear what people have to say. But we yeah. were talking about how we're supposed to spin and the stars should look different. But if you take a time-lapse camera, it just spins around Polaris. That's weird. Yeah. Now, totally. obviously, this is another rabbit hole that we've gone down, uh, but that it correlates with that. And it showed the same time last photos with this, was the uh, flat Earth thing. Uh, yeah. We've we've done a great flat Earth debate where we've had, uh, you know, heliocentric model people and then flat Earth people. And we mm -hmm. kind of moderated and, and saw their different arguments. But that was another thing that got brought up was the pole star you know, it, on a clear sky, you watch it in its full rotation and it just spins all there the way go. around it. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, I spent years in the flat earth community. So um, that's okay. where my awareness of the pole star started really becoming strong. And so that's, to be honest, that is one of the big, big takeaways of my time with that. So, you know, I've talked to a lot of people in that community. I'm not opposed to it. I, for me, the right. main thing is that it is not what we've been told, in my opinion. It's not yes. what you were taught in school. You know, yeah. that's, that's the main we've thing. we've all said that is that we're like, look, I'm not sold on the fact that this might be a flat plane realm, earth, whatever you want to call it. It's the idea that whatever, what the, whatever the fuck that we were told and we've gone into the whole moon landing. Well, if that's yeah. the case, the only thing that we're told about the 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 global uh, model is that it's all from pictures we get from NASA. Well, yep. if you don't believe that we got on the moon, they partnered with Disney short like all of it. It's yeah, just not yeah. fucking what they tell us. No, 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 100%. And I'll say that one of the big things that they're covering up with the helio, the traditional mainstream heliocentric model is the power of the pole star. It's amazing. There are so many groups who revered it. I think a lot of people are completely underestimating um, what it means symbolically. And what it is, just like you showed in the photo, it's the center of the churning of the heavens so it's the hub of the wheel okay and so the the north star was the preeminent star for sea navigation that there that there has right. ever been essentially and so if your instrumentation was lost or broken or whatever if you can locate the north star then you can find your way home okay and so this star has been associated with so many different things it's absolutely insane and um, if people are interested in this kind of information, I have a couple of videos where I do talk about it. I did a presentation. You guys had Kalina Lux on at some point. Yeah. yeah. From So she asked me to do a presentation 
about Aquarius and the North Star. And I went in on it for like an hour and a half, two hours. And so uh, that's on my Patreon if people want to see that lecture or presentation. But the Northern Sky and the North Star is it's been associated with the throne of God or the goddess. Some people consider it to be uh, heaven and hell. There's a lot of black magical groups that actually work with this part of the night sky. That's a whole different rabbit hole, which is kind of fascinating. Like the um, twinge of the sun. Yeah, there's there's that as well. There, there's a lot of things going on there, including, too, the fact that um, some people believe that the stairway to heaven, it leads you to the northern sky. And so there's many beliefs. There's a number of groups that believe that we come from the northern sky and we return to the northern sky upon death and that the stairway to heaven is very much a real thing. And it's going to the north. And actually, you know, the Aurora Borealis, the northern lights. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So um, there's a cusp or an opening um, to our electromagnetic field around Earth. It exists at the north and there's like Egyptian um, like rituals and things like that. Afterlife rituals that basically say that upon death. You go go to the northern sky, you go to the cusp. They used to call it the horn of a great bull. There's a number of metaphors that have been associated with this part of the sky and that that's where you ascend up to, that this is how you go to the other side. So the stairway to heaven is an actual real place. <coughs> the northern sky and the north star. Oh, you're all good. Um, you know, it's really more of a harmonious system than the heliocentric model that we've been given. The heliocentric model is so out of whack. And I think it's designed that way, you know? Um, Yeah, right. And so Ophiuchus, though, Ophiuchus is one of the more northern constellations. If we're going to look at the 13 signs, it's further to the north, right? And everything that I've picked up from Ophiuchus is suggesting that actually what it's a reference to is everything that I just mentioned. Okay. That it's actually a reference oh. to the northern sky. It's a reference to it's pointing you in the direction of Polaris. It's pointing pointing you in the direction of the North Star. And so um I so think they'd that have that's to take what that out. They would have to take that out if they're trying to sell all of the things that we're talking about that we've been taught through history for the last 120, 130 years. Exactly. Yeah, that that's my opinion. So the 13th sign or the 13th member um in a set is like the completion number. It's kind of like, um, it's this holistic thing. It brings everything together. And so I think that um, that's kind of what it encodes and represents. I think that it actually speaks to the whole system of uh, the astrological wheel, of the zodiac wheel. And it's saying like, look, Polaris is right there. That's what everything revolves around. And there's a lot of serpent symbolism that gets tied to the North Star as well. Do you think that that whole... uh superstition about 13 being unlucky is kind of a where do you think i know that numerology you know we kind of already touched on that but yeah i'm kind of trying to intertwine that Mm -hmm. with the idea that there's this ongoing superstition that 13 is unlucky this that and the other and it's like well heliocentric model you need 12 you have to omit the 13th because the 13th would denote a 13th constellation the 13th constellation would denote a possible (laughs) flat or at least not what we are being told realm. It's unlucky. Sailors, as we touched on following the stars, they were very superstitious about 13 being unlucky. 
I'm wondering if all of that ties together on what they followed versus what we've been told everybody should follow, why 13 is unlucky and why that has always been omitted. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. You know, um, to me, the first correspondence that I think of is with the tarot. So if you want to learn okay. more about a number and you're like, what does the number five mean? Like, where can I find out more information? Look at the major arcana. Look at the major arcana, look at the fifth card and start studying it. So the 13th card is actually death, which corresponds with Scorpio. Mm. And so to me, death Fucking is really, hell. it's <laughs> it's symbolic of a rebirth as well. So with every death comes a rebirth, with every birth comes a death. You know, so it's this, it's symbolic of this great transformation, essentially. And so I think that what I was saying earlier about the great unknown, you know, people fear death because they don't know what's going to happen. But guess what? There's a lot of cultures that have said they know exactly what happens, you know. Right. And so I think that's something that actually is kind of encoded in certain lodge and mystery systems as well is actually how to die. And so I think that some of the Freemasonic tracing boards that I've studied, I think they're encoding the afterlife process. And the quick gist of what I think that is, is I think that there's seven layers between this reality and the next reality and going to the other side. And that's all of the symbolism that I picked up and I put together. Um, Why seven? If you start, it's a great, that's a great question. You know, um, <laughs> there's, if you look at the importance of seven here, there's seven days of the week. There's seven colors of the rainbow. You know, uh, they say that there's seven chakras. I know there's other opinions about all of that, but the number seven is really like this complete number you know in a way it's symbolically the four and the three together the four is like stability and the three would be this kind of um more action oriented number you know so there's always with the three i think of the triangle and i think of like um you know an arrow being pointed somewhere so the four and the three kind of combined together make like a complete system and so the seven is like an active complete system i would say and so um, this corresponds with the fact that there's seven traditional planets. So that's more how I tend to see astrology personally. I don't always acknowledge the outer planets. And so I tend to mostly think about everything up until Saturn. And so there's seven traditional planets. So if you look at older alchemical illustrations or what have you, there's going to be seven planets, you know, and uh, there's going to be you're going to see these illustrations too, if you look into it, of this nested sphere system. And so earth is in the middle and then there's nested spheres outside of that concentric rings and there's seven layers. And so there's one layer or one sphere per planet. Okay. It's really interesting that there's also seven stars in Ursa major and seven stars in Ursa minor. Okay. So there are groups like there's um, there's this ritual called the pace of you. It's this esoteric Chinese ritual. And they believed that in order to get from this reality, from this domain and uh, to go to the other side, essentially to go to the next realm over that they needed to walk what they called uh, the pace of you, what they uh, believed were the seven planets, the seven traditional planets or the seven stars of Ursa Major. So literally, there is this ritual that they believed in that it takes seven steps or seven different uh, processes to go from here to the next domain, the next reality. 
And when you look into Ascension material about how to get from this reality to the next reality, it's really, really fascinating that oftentimes there's seven steps involved. And so this number seven is baked into um, all of this stuff for like a lot of different reasons, but those are just a few quick, quick reasons. And the number seven also corresponds with the chariot card. And so uh, the chariot tier, the main card, the Rider weight deck, he has like a, a North star on top of his head, you oh, know? Shit. And so this chariot is symbolic of our ability to actually travel and to actually ascend, you know, with our light body or whatever you want to say, armor Kaba, some people might say. And well, so and I've, I've, I've never heard it from that angle before because seven, we, Joe and I were raised stupid Christian, like hardcore. And seven is obviously a huge number in the Christian community, specifically people that uh, are what I call Northern Baptist versus Southern Baptist. Um, mm -hmm. And you even go into other more pagan things uh, or uh, the seventh level of hell, just for an expression. There's all these different sevens that end up going in through it. You mentioned a few seven days a week, this, that, and the other. I've always wondered though, because I don't know anything about astrology really, uh, what those different meanings are. So that that's all new information for me. Um, just before any, any of us forget, I do want to actually hear an answer though to her question about the uh, opposing signs though too. Oh yeah, I have it written down here. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> you're right. The, the, the number seven, by the way, um, you mentioned 700 years, God's wrath in Israel, something to that effect, right? Yes. And so I wrote that down. And in Islam, what they say, I think it's really fascinating. Um, it's something like there's 7,000 or 70,000 veils between uh, us and God is what they say. And so it includes really? that as well. Yeah. So this seven stepped, seven layered sort of thing is is a real deal sort of thing. And, and so it's all over the people, place. It's more like widespread. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah, kind of yeah. like all almost every religion has some kind of story about there being a great flood at some point destroying the earth. It's I think it's like 26 different religions completely untied to what they consider, you know, the monarchal God of their religion, all talking about at some point in their history, having a worldwide flood. So mm -hmm. like all of these seven kind of archetypes, those are present in a shitload of religions and thought processes and, and ideologies, right? 100%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so like even um, in, um, in India, they have this idea of the rishis and it's the seven rishis or seven sages that come from the Northern sky. And they actually say that there's one Rishi per star in Ursa Major. They come from the northern sky and then they bestow wisdom on humanity and, and teach us all sorts of different mm. lessons and, and whatever. And then uh, they return to the northern sky as well. And that's just one example. So there's multiple stories like this where the sages that give humanity knowledge come from the northern sky. Which is to me, this is like my rabbit hole, man. This is like the most fascinating shit like in the world. And so um, this is septenary symbolism. And so um, I get into it in some of my videos. And um, I don't know. I think that there's so much power there. But I think that the heliocentric model throws you off from it. So right. just real quick, and then I'll get into the, the pairs. Um, you know, there's older artworks where they show seven stars or seven dots or something like that. If you ask most people, what does that represent? in some older statue or painting or whatever, they're probably going to say that it's the seven stars of the Pleiades. So just above Taurus, there's a cluster of seven stars. Um, they're referred to frequently as the seven sisters. 
that's so what I seen... heard. I was wondering if you were going to say that because right? that's what I always heard. It's like that little kind of yeah. like not triangle, but it's that weird kind of shape uh, that has like the cluster of the seven in it because seven sisters yeah. was the term I heard. Nice. Yeah, exactly. So I've seen whole breakdowns of, you know, I've seen whole videos where people break down a lot of the esoteric symbolism that we're kind of getting into the stair of heaven, stairway to heaven, uh, where we go to upon death, where we come from, etc. you know, and um, attribute it all to the Pleiades. And in the new age community, they make a big thing about the Pleiades, th these seven stars. And my personal opinion is that I think actually there's a misinterpretation going on and that actually when you see these seven stars, a lot of the time, not every single time, but a lot of the time, you're actually dealing with Ursa Major or Ursa Minor, which once again revolve around the North Star and have such a close connection to it that they're pretty much like their symbolism and mythology is completely intertwined. Um, so yeah, so that's just a quick take on that. But um, regarding the pairs, though, you know, one of the things that's done for me, it's it's really unlocked a lot of myths that I find to be very, very intriguing. And so if you study virgo on its own that's totally fine you know obviously there's a lot to dig into with all of that but once you incorporate pisces into the research a lot of stuff starts coming to light where you're just like oh well that is intriguing isn't it and it's like that with all of the pairs and so really they're complementary and so all of the pairs are very complementary so when you study one and you acknowledge the opposing sign you're going to um, unlock like a whole new level of information, basically, you know. And so because they're opposing signs, that's actually what you see in the night sky. So right now, we're not seeing a Virgo in the night sky. We're seeing Pisces. And so uh, there's a whole debate. And since we already opened up the whole uh, heliocentric, geocentric thing, Manly P. Hall says that if you look at astrology through a geocentric lens, you should be acknowledging the opposing sign that most people talk about. So Manly P. Hall is saying that if you're a geocentrist, right now it's actually Pisces season. It's not Virgo season. So I huh. think that's kind of an interesting sort of way of looking at it. Um, because, too, like I said, that's what you're going to see in the night sky. And so um, I'm a Cancer. My girlfriend is a Capricorn. We're opposing signs. And there is actually a surprising amount in common with these signs. And there's a surprising amount that's actually very much uh, complementary and kind of opposite as well. And so over the years, we've just kind of been blown away at how uh, much they complete each other, but then also how much they complement each other. The same way you could say that about a couple, right? Is like, that's like the deal. Like a couple, in my opinion, an ideal couple, you complement and contrast each other in like all of the best ways. You know what I mean? And so I think that that's what you tend to see when you start studying um, the signs as pairs. But are you guys opposing signs over there? Um, ben and Lene, are you... Uh, what what are uh, Ben? You're a Libra. Yeah, Aries. Okay, right. Is that that's why you asked about it, Lene? No, I just hadn't heard that before, so I was interested. Okay. And then you mentioned his sign, and I was like, hmm, that's even more curious. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, exactly. And so, um, so that's been really, really interesting for me, um, just to kind of acknowledge the signs that way. So, 
Um, like I said, when, when you start acknowledging the opposing sign, there's certain storylines that pop up. As an example, uh, regarding Leo, lions like have been associated with water for a long time. And so they've been associated with waterways. There's lots of fountains that have lion statues. There's like water coming out of lions' mouths. Um, there's different stories about lions um, kind of congregating around the Nile during Leo. So people started seeing lions more uh, during Leo season. But there's all of this watery stuff connected to the lion and Leo. And when you just look at it just kind of as an isolated sort of thing, it may not make sense. But then when you start looking at it through the lens and acknowledge that while the opposing sign of Leo is Aquarius, the water bearer, things start making a bit more sense. And so um, then you start just kind of like realizing that like, oh, okay, well, in some of these myths, what it's actually doing is it's encoding both signs. It's encoding, you know, Aquarian energy, the water bearer energy, and it's encoding Leo symbolism and everything else. So going with that, and of course, it seems to be like a universal kind of truth. Everything has its opposite, comes in pairs, mm -hmm. good and evil, etc. So yeah. jumping back to the beginning and how you brought up with the queen recently dying and the sign in which that was under, what would be the opposing sign and how does that all relate together? What does that open up? That's a great question. Yeah. So the opposing sign would be Pisces. And so even if you look at the symbol for Virgo, um, there's a, a hidden fish in there. And so it's an M and then there's this little loopy thing and it's actually a fish. And so uh, it's fascinating because there's a lot of information that correlates Christ with Pisces, right? And oh, also fish uh -huh. symbolism too, you know? And so Virgo is the Virgin as in like the Virgin Mary. And so the Pisces symbolism to me is kind of symbolic of this Christ-like figure or her creation, her child, her son. Um, regarding how it correlates with the queen, that's something I would have to think about a little bit more. But I think that's an excellent question, though. Um, and I bet you if I started looking into it, I would probably would find some stuff. Well, actually, I mean, just real quick, I'm just starting to think about it. But, you know, uh, <laughs> the queen of heaven, get so those wheels go. going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The queen of heaven, you know, um, I going back to the whole heliocentric geocentric thing, there's something to be said about thinking about spaces as, as potentially being water, you know, or, or an aspect of water. And so even in the Bible, right, it's the uh, water. I was just going to say that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The water's above and the water's below. And right. that's very, very intriguing to me. So well, if we're talking about the water. queen of heaven, then, you know, it's kind of like I can kind of make the case or I can kind of see the logic in, tying this queen of heaven concept to water and the, the waters above. And then it's like, well, obviously like what lives within the waters and, you know, and it would be fish. And so um, also I know too, like followers of Christ nuns, you know, uh, in Hebrew noon means fish N U N it means fish. And so there's a lot of nun symbolism that actually uh, refers to fish symbolism and so, and I know that followers of Christ have also been called fish as well. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot going also on there. But... Sheep. They're also called sheep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. You see sure. a good thing now, not so much. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and you brought up earlier, this just jogged my memory um, of what you said something earlier. You were talking about how uh, 
the symbol for Leo or something like that. Uh, it looks like the Hebrew sign, which literally means serpent and how they have a lot in common, something yeah. of that nature, if I have that right. So yeah. my <laughs> this popped into my head is, well, if that's the Hebrew sign for serpent, could it very well be then that the original Hebrew writing for the serpent in the Garden of Eden was actually referring to a cat? Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean honestly, I said cats are evil. That would make a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, I haven't thought about that, to be honest. Um, I think there's something to that, though, for sure. You know, um, so I'm not opposed to that line of thinking. I think there's a lot of things that I have yet to understand. And I think there's mm -hmm. plenty of room for new interpretations, too. So I am like not dogmatic in any which way, but that's an interesting, curious thought for sure. That's what like we've it. gotten to. Non-dogmatic. Well, I love, yeah. I, I right, love how right. you talked about how what you actually see in the sky right now is Pisces, not Virgo, but it's Virgo season. I mean, that fits in the whole general inversion uh, thing that seems to go mm -hmm. on with a lot of this. Uh, yeah. Just inverting everything. It, you see it everywhere. That's why I think just like you were saying, uh, space is probably not a vacuum. It's probably more something like water because that's kind of the opposite of a vacuum, right? Would be just water. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, exactly. So, um, the the North Star thing too. By the way, it's like I I think one of the reasons why they don't want us to be aware of it um, is because it actually encourages you to look within, and I think that's why we say it's like your true north. You know. Um, the it was known as the guiding star. And so symbolically, you know, I'm talking about it as this external thing. But in actuality, there's an internal correspondence as well. And it's like who you really are at your core, you know, and so under the heliocentric model, with the overemphasis of sun symbolism, everything is always externalized, you know, it's external validation, tell me, let me turn on the news and tell me how I feel today. Um, you know, and so everything is basically you're asking for permission from these different systems on how to live life and whether or not you feel validated or whatever. And so I think um, geocentrism, the same way it actually puts more of a spotlight on Earth, it actually puts more of a spotlight on you and your inner journey and what's going on within. And so that's one of the big, big takeaways uh, for me as well, when I was getting into the flatter thing and everything else is it's really fascinating how the heliocentric model wants you to be concerned about everything else except for you and like what your journey is and your sovereignty and your divinity and, and everything else, you know. And so I think that's one of the big, big reasons why they teach us this model is because it actually siphons the, uh, your power away. You know, I think that uh, it's kind of this looshing sort of uh, thing. Oh, and I think yeah. that if you acknowledge geocentrism, um, it brings everything closer to home, you know? So I think personally, this is center stage. That That's my opinion. I think this is center stage. I think that everything, um, I think we probably live on a motionless plane and everything is, is revolving around us, you know? And so obviously they the teach you the exact around us. We knew it. Well, and the thing is, too, is that this actually goes right along with my uh, 1890 theory, where it was around that time, and you can go farther back into that, the whole, uh, I don't know if you've watched some of the documentaries uh, about, 
they're just being mud everywhere in the 1840s to 1860s cities that were barren but somehow somebody got you know panoramic pictures with not a soul in sight blah 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 moving on from that talk about the orphan trains 1890 Mm -hmm. was the first world summit uh shortly after that um and and then we you know we talked about the world's fairs and how fucking weird those things were 1890 ish was also when they stopped teaching flat earth in schools they started Mm -hmm. teaching the heliocentric model and when we had micah dank on who does astrotheology you know Mm -hmm. he's talked about all of these different things that have kind of been either suppressed or perverted outrightly from what they originally were supposed to mean to what we take them as now one of the more common ones that he talks about is uh dante's inferno depicts satan being frozen up to his wings and how uh, when he talks about it in Latin, Inferno is translated Inverno, and that actually means winter. And so mm. there's all of these different kind of perversions that end up literally going from one and what they generally and what they actually <clears throat> meant all the way to the other side of it. And then you have this polarity of, well, as long as that school of thought is out there, whether it be geocentric or heliocentric or, uh, you know, winter is hell versus a lake of fire. There's all of these split thoughts. And then the next thing you know is we're, you know, six generations down the line and everybody falls somewhere in the middle. And it's like they don't really know which one is the right one. And I think that that there's an old saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop. I think Mm. that that's kind of where it is, is like as long as they have you somewhere in the middle and you don't go for the one, then they have you right where they want you. I hear you, man. Yeah, exactly. No, um, that's really interesting. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the devil symbolism with winter. This is why Capricorn is in winter. And so Capricorn is in winter. And that's the sign that corresponds with the devil card, you know, and I'll say that what I think is that a lot of groups, their primitive devil actually lived underwater. And so it wasn't sure. underneath the earth. And so when I spoke about and i know you already know this but the waters above and the waters below you're talking about heaven and hell and so an older way of looking at hell would be underwater not underneath the earth and so during capricorn season i got into this a little bit um what i think the big switch is and i have to give credit to this author named john o'neill he wrote this book in the late 1800s it's called the night of the gods and he schooled me on so much stuff it was the most dense read i've ever read it was difficult to read but i got so much out of it and essentially what he says is that if you look at a lot of myths there's many people who are going to say that oh well clearly this deity is a solar deity obviously right you know um and he's saying that a lot of these deities that are considered solar deities are misinterpreted and so the main deity that he spoke of in this little section was ptah from ancient egypt so it's this golden deity. This is where they say that um, we get the Oscar statue from. And he's holding a staff and he's standing upright. And he was saying that modern Egyptologists would say that this is a solar deity, that he's connected to the sun. And he made the case that it's actually a polar deity, as in uh, the North Pole or the Pole Star, as in what's referred to as the Axis Mundi, that there's a symbolic pole from uh, the northern. Uh, part of our plane going up into the sky and that there's a correlation um, with that pole, this axis Mundi, what I often refer to as the world tree or the world pillar as well, Oh, interesting. Um, that it corresponds with the pole star. 
right? And so he was saying that the switch was from polar, a polar understanding of reality to a solar understanding of reality. Mm. So I'll say that they tell us we live in a solar system, but I think it might actually be more appropriate to say under the geocentric model that we live in a polar system. Well, not to mm. mention so, polar is usually associated with winter and cold versus solar, yeah. which is usually associated with sun. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You know, and this is kind of baked into like a lot of like very popular storylines like Santa, you know, so where does Santa come from? You know, he comes from the North Pole, right? Pole. I th I think that you put a tree in your home. This is symbolic of the world tree. All trees, when you look at tree symbolism, the trunk is symbolic of this pole that I'm talking about, the Axis Mundi. Um, and so when you put a star on top of a tree for Christmas... I was just about to go to the Christmas tree. Just about to nice. go there. Com complete my thought if you want. Well, I was going to well, say, gonna say? What, they, what they used to do was they would always erect in the winter a tree that shot straight up into heaven and they would adorn it with candles and other things uh, as kind of a representation and an appeasement to the God of the North. That's right, dude. Exactly. And so when you put the star on top of the tree, this is the North star, right? You're completing and the so, pole. Yeah. No, it's yeah, the yeah, star yeah. of Jesus, dude. Everybody knows. It's, the star <laughs> of Jesus. it's over Bethlehem, bro. <laughs> that's part of it too dude i mean yeah there, there's a lot of christ symbolism with the north star like big time big time and actually uh the virgin mary the church the catholic church they took a lot of pole star symbolism and they attributed it to mary and so they referred to her as the guiding star for christ and so sometimes uh, she's referred to as stella maris which is like um I believe her name was like Stella Mara, Star of the Sea, something to that effect. And so the Star of the Sea would be the North Star, once again, for navigational purposes and everything else. Um, so anyway, so yeah, I think that this Axis Mundi concept is a really big deal. It's it's actually all over the place. It's like once you have the lens to see it, once you've done that kind of research, it's just there. So when you see these big obelisks around the world... Mm. Dude, it's the Axis Mundi. That's really what it is. And polar, uh, you know, the column, excuse me, and pillar symbolism, same thing. It's the Axis Mundi. And so um, these things are all over the place, you know. So the tower card, the twin towers, it's like same same thing, same idea, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you. Th this is amazing. I, yeah. I, I think this is the least I've talked on a show in like three weeks. Oh. This is awesome. <laughs> we've had we've had some astrology people on before and they're all actually awesome we love hearing about it we know i mean we know we know it's very little but you have a whole different take that's super interesting yeah. i love yeah. it yeah it's unbelievable yeah we need but to do this mm -hmm. yeah we'll definitely schedule up for round two uh we're out of time because ben has to get up super fucking early he always wrecks the show just so everybody knows <laughs> <laughs> no, clearly Everybody go check them out, symbolicstudies.com. I'm putting it up on screen. Hang on. There we go. And, oh, it's already on the screen. Fucking whatever. Anyway, symbolicstudies.com, uh, symbolic.studies on uh, Instagram, and everything else, Mario, can be just be found at his website. So check that out. Thank you so much, sir. We will Mario, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, you got it. This was great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, in the live chat. Any word? I uh, saw a couple others in there. I can't scroll fast enough. Uh, Luz Maria Korea, thank you. Anybody who joined in the live chat, Johnny, I see is in there too. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Yes, and audio. Thank you, Lene, awesome. for joining us on this journey as well. Yes, special guest. <laughs> yeah, Lene. absolutely. 
All right, guys. Good night. Listening. Right on. Right on. Nice. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to eleven grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.